song basically uh, tells us that our hearts are um, wicked and we devise evil schemes but despite that the Lord is uh, righteous he is the only true and perfect one and let us go before the Lord in prayer this morning Father your word tells us that your blessings are not upon those who walk in the counsel of the wicked who stand in the way of sinners <coughs> or who sit in the seat of scoffers your blessings are not upon those who deny you those who flagrantly disobey you or those who forsake your will and your ways Lord your blessings are not upon those who choose to embrace folly and foolishness Instead, Father, your mercies are upon those who find their delight in your word and who meditate on it day and night. Your blessings are upon those who look outside of themselves for wisdom, who look beyond sinful humanity to know what's true and false, to know what's right and wrong. Your blessings are upon those who look to you, to the all-knowing, all-wise God. Lord, these are the ones who are like trees that have been planted beside streams of water, who are able to drink from the source of nourishment, who are able to grow strong, who are able to bear up under any challenge, who are able to prosper in the ways that matter most. But Father, I confess and we all confess that we do not love your word as we ought. We do not have the commitment to it that we ought to have for this source of wisdom Lord that is so good and so precious and so pure wisdom that is able to guide us away from all sin and all righteousness and Father we wonder why sometimes our lives are in disarray, disarray. Lord in the week that has gone by each of us has at various times turned away from wisdom found in your word we have all chosen to disregard it. We have all chosen to disobey you. So we ask, Father, that you would forgive us. We ask that you would forgive us for all the sins we've done and for all the righteous deeds we failed to do. Lord, forgive us for every time we embrace sin and for every time we forsook righteousness. But Father, we thank you as we confessed earlier that we have the assurance that when we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us Lord we thank you that we aren't left hoping against hope that you would forgive us and Father I pray this morning that we as a church no matter how small we are that we will have a deep commitment to your word that not only individually but also corporately we would ground all we do in the Bible in scripture I pray, Lord, that as a church, our delight will be in the law of the Lord and that we will meditate on its truths together day by day, week by week, service by service. Lord, that is our prayer. That is my prayer for our church. And Lord, I want to pray specifically for the members of this church who are enduring difficulties, who are facing trials, who are sorrowful, 
who are oppressed by sin, who are hurting in body, mind, or spirit. In every case, Father, I pray that they would know your comfort. I pray, Lord, that they would know that you have not turned away from them. You have not forsaken them. You have not forgotten about them. But you are there with them, present in your spirit and in your word, and present even in your people, the other members of this church. So, Lord, I pray that we would minister to them with that word, that we would bring them the truths that will be helpful and meaningful to them. Because, Lord, it is only wisdom from your word that is meaningful and that is true. And, Lord, I pray that we would be willing to give time and effort and money and a listening ear and whatever else we can do to help ease their sorrows and to bear their burdens. Lord, let us serve them by representing you. And Lord, through whatever means we have, may it give them joy, may it give them hope, may it give them assurance that all these burdens are momentary afflictions before they see and experience the eternal weight of glory. And Father, I pray this morning for other sound churches here in Calhoun County and abroad around the world. Brothers that I know uh, personally, I pray, Lord, that your hand of blessing would be continue to be upon them as they proclaim the gospel truth in their churches and in their area. But first, I want to pray for uh, brothers Gobbler Jay, Yegar, and Josephus Brown over in Liberia in West Africa. My brother Sylvester, father of Adalia in Zimbabwe. And over here in the States, Lord, in our area, Brother Steve Mays at Holt Presbyterian. My brother Josh Henderson at Southside Baptist Church in Talladega. Brother Cody Hill at Iron City uh, Baptist uh, Church. Brother Justin Holland at Mountain View Church. Brother Bob St. John at Anderson Bible Church. Brother Carlton Weathers at Grace Fellowship. Brother Anthony Cook at Christian Fellowship. Uh, Brother Phil Moser at Redeemer. Lord, we pray for all of these men that they continue to proclaim the gospel truth in our area. Lord, we pray for all of us that we will continue to hear good reports about what you are accomplishing among our brothers and sisters. We pray for gospel fruit. We pray, Lord, that you would bring more people into your kingdom as our faithful brethren proclaim salvation in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that they will remain united in the calling to which you have called us to be an outpost of your kingdom in our part of the city. And Father, now we come down to the praying for the preaching of the word. We pray, Father, that you would give us illumination this morning as we hear from you for father I do not speak my words but I speak your word father I pray that you give us ears to hear and hearts to understand what you are saying to us this morning because Lord the things that we hear this morning can only be spiritually understood so that is why we pray for illumination by means of the Holy Spirit he gives us the wisdom to understand your truths. And Lord, that is what I pray for this morning. 
And I pray also, Lord, that you enable me by your spirit's power to preach this text well, to do your name justice, to preach worthy of your name, Lord, and worthy of being called a pastor that I may not disqualify myself. Father, bless us, refresh us, encourage us, convict us by your word. And may you use it, Lord, as an encouragement to the saints and to bring sinners to repentance. Father, speak and let us hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. We're in the book of Colossians. We've been in Colossians for the past six weeks. And now we're in our, I think, sixth or seventh sermon in this book and we're beginning the second chapter we spent six sermons in the first chapter and now we are going to the second chapter of this letter that Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit wrote to the church at Colossae and it's always as a reminder the context of this letter that Paul was writing from a prison cell and he had never seen or never visited the Colossian uh, Christians. But he still wrote to encourage them based on the good report that he heard from Epaphras. So we're in the second chapter, verses 1 through 10. And this is the word of the Lord. And just listen as we read this text, I want you to Listen to Paul's heart that he has for the saints. And this is something that, as we're going to talk about today, the love and the longing that we as Christians should have for each other, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So I want you all to note the heart of Paul as he is writing to this church. He shows special concern for them. So let's see what the word of the Lord says this morning. It says, for I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Verse 4. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware. This is Paul's first warning in this book. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy 
and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily or in bodily form. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power or rule and authority. So just as a thought in the introduction, in this portion of his letter to the Colossians, Paul shows his tender concern for the spiritual health of the church. And then next he gives a brief sketch of the situation. Then he admonishes them to a fidelity or faithfulness uh, in their Christian walk because uh, error is a serious calamity to a believer's faith with the Lord and is a threat to Christian unity. And we're going to talk about that more in our sermon. And then afterwards, he warns them against apostasy when he says, you know, as you receive the Lord Christ, walk in him. And then finally, he praises the being, the glory, and the work of Christ. Knowledge and wisdom that derives from Christ is supreme to all earthly man-made traditions and wisdom. Christ is supreme over all. And remember, the overarching theme of Colossians is the supremacy of Christ, that Christ himself is supreme. We're not supreme. Christ is supreme. The Supreme Court is not supreme. Christ is supreme. The President of the United States is not supreme. The King of England is not supreme. Christ alone is supreme over all. And that is how Paul ends this section of his letter. So just for observations here, and these observations are going to be our principles. So we'll stay on this slide for a little bit, but the observations are the principles. So what are the four things that we see in this section of his letter? First, we see Paul's conflict. He writes to those who are in Colossae and those who are in Laodicea. Those who he has never met in person. So this is whom he is conflicted about. Those in Colossae, Laodicea, and those whom he has never met. Remember, Paul never met any of these people. But yet he was still conflicted about them, about their growth. And what was his conflict and what was his concern? His concern was their spiritual health. That their hearts may be encouraged by being knit together in love. So Paul was concerned and concern doesn't mean that they were not doing it. It meant that that is what was of most importance to him of what was of most concern to him. We, all, we often think of the word concern in a negative uh, context or negative connotation, but sometimes it's just a concern that they be unified. So it's like giving serious thought or consideration to it. So you say that Paul uh, was saying that I have serious consideration, great conflict in me. Okay? That their hearts may be encouraged 
by being it together in love. And also another conflict or concern about the spiritual health would be that they attain to all the riches. This is in verse two of the full assurance or full understanding, which is the knowledge of the mystery of God. Both of the father and Christ in whom is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So this is this is what Paul concerned for them, his conflict for them, that they learn all the wisdom and knowledge which comes from God and God our own. God is the source of true wisdom. God is the source of true knowledge. He is the source, not us, not man's wisdom. And we'll talk about this in a little bit. The next observation and principle is that we are Paul's, his cause. What are his reasons? We see this in verses four and five. What are his reasons for this? He didn't want them to be deceived with persuasive words. Persuasive words coming from false teachers. He was concerned about that. Lest they be deceived with persuasive words, he says here in verse four. He is with them in spirit. And that's showing his love and concern. He's absent in the flesh, but he's present with them in spirit. How is he present with them in spirit? He's not a ghost. <laughs> okay. So he's not present with them that way. He means he's present with them in the spirit because all believers are united together through the Holy Spirit. Women, we always talk about this principle. Just because you're not in the same room with a Christian doesn't mean that you all are not brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, that's why I pray for Brother Gobbler J and Joe Josephus over in Liberia. You know, they visited our church before, you know, when they were coming over here to, to raise money, and we treated them as a brother and sister in Christ. Although they're nine hours behind us, they're in another country on another continent. But what unites us? The Holy Spirit with one in Christ. So that's why Paul is saying absent in the body is, is still present with them in spirit. And the other cause is because he, 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 he's with them in spirit because he is rejoicing to see their good order and steadfastness of faith in Christ. So he gives them an exhortation in verses 6 and 7. And what is the exhortation? As we have received Christ the Lord received him in salvation repented of your sins and trusted him as Lord and Savior as you have received Christ what are we to do walk in him and how do we walk in him what, is it, what does it mean he says to be rooted built in him to be established in the faith we see this in verses 6 and 7 as you have been taught and abounding in it with Thanksgiving. That's what it looks like to walk in Christ, to be rooted, to be established, to be taught and to abound in it. That was his exhortation to them for this conflict of this concern. And then he ends this section by giving a warning and a gospel encouragement. And what is this warning? This I told you as I was reading it, when he says, beware, this is Paul's first warning to this church in this letter. So he says, beware, lest anyone deceive you or cheat you through human philosophy and empty words. 
And these words are according to the what tradition of men, according to the basic principles of this world, but not according to Christ. You find that all in verse eight. Again, don't be cheated through empty, through philosophy and empty words, empty deceit. And it is according to the tradition of men, the basic principles of this world, but not according to Christ. And why does he say this? He ends it in verse 9 and 10. For in God dwells all the fullness. Not in the world. All the fullness doesn't dwell in the world. All the fullness doesn't dwell in human philosophy and human deceit. But it all dwells in who? Christ, all the fullness. They are complete in him who is the head and principality of all power. Christ is the head. Christ has all power. Not the world. Not the world's systems. Not the world's philosophies. So these are the basis for our principles this morning. So let's go back to the first one here. Paul's conflict. Again, Paul's concern is for the health of the Colossians. And this verse 1 connects with verse 29 of chapter 1. So you look back at chapter 1 verse 29. Paul says to this end I also labor. Striving according to his working. Which works in me mightily. Two and one. For. For means because. Because is pointing back to the what was previously said. So why does Paul strive in verse 29 according to God who is working in him mightily? Because he wants them to know what a great conflict he has for them. So that's why Paul is striving to, to share the gospel. Striving to build them up. Why? Because he wants them to know what great conflict he has for them. He wants their hearts to be encouraged. Being knit together. This is why he strives. So his concern is that they attain to the knowledge and wisdom that is hidden in Christ with God. So that is what Paul is doing. He is, he is striving. And as believers, we strive to see other believers grow. We strive to see other believers know God more and show more godly wisdom. That's what we strive to do. Not just pastors and, and preachers. But we all strive to see Christians grow in their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was what Paul was demonstrating here. And Paul's concern was the Colossian heresy, as it has been called. And what the Colossian heresy was, was that you had these uh, people who were coming into the church and telling them, that knowledge of God was not important. But rather worldly wisdom was supreme. That worldly wisdom is all you need. You don't, you don't need to know about God. You don't need to have knowledge of God. You don't need to know about the, the person and work of Jesus Christ. And how supreme Christ is over all things. You don't, you don't need to know all that. All you need is the knowledge and wisdom of the philosophers. And the world tells us that now. We don't, we don't need to to know God we need to listen to the experts you hear that word a lot being bandied around 
You need to listen to the world and the world's wisdom and the world's philosophies. And you wonder why the world is as chaotic as it is. What do we always say? Christ or chaos. The world's wisdom brings chaos. It brings confusion. It brings misery. It brings unhappiness. Why? Because it is of this world. So this Colossian heresy is what Paul was addressing. He did not want them to be moved away from the gospel of hope as we read in Colossians 1 and 23. And are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. He did not want them to move away from it. The word deceive means to, to trick. Okay? means to trick. And in this context, he's talking about tricking with false doctrine and human philosophy. Deception is very dangerous to the saints. That is why it is worth contending for the gospel. That's why Jude says in Jude 3 and 4 that we are con to contend earnestly for the faith that was delivered once unto the saints. We are to contend for the faith. Why? Because you know why false churches and false teaching is so alluring because they lure people in with what? Deception and lies. Deception. And guess what? They got to keep the jig going. It's like getting on a treadmill. First of all, you're running fast, but you're in the same place. But number two, they have to keep deceiving every single week to keep people coming back. They have to be deceitful. They have to lie. They have to not tell the truth. Why? Because they have conditioned their listeners, their hearers, to listen to deception. They never preach repentance of sins, that they need to repent. Or if they do preach repentance, they, 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 they teach it in a way that is manipulative. They don't teach the supremacy of Christ, but they teach the supremacy of of themselves they stand up before they, their churches and open their Bibles and read one verse and says I have a word for you today from the Lord the Lord told me to show you this the Lord told me to tell you that but what do we always say if you want to hear God speak open your Bibles this is the very word of God right here if you want to hear the loud voice of God read your Bible out loud because this is the word of God. Not anything that comes from me. Human wisdom is nothing. It is deceptive. And the Colossians dealt with this. Paul did not want them to be deceived. And how do they deceive? Paul says by persuasive speech. They're very good at speaking. They're very good at persuading. And that's what they have to do. They have to persuade people. And you know what? They're very persuasive. They're very manipulative. They persuade through manipulation. They gaslight you. They, they manipulate. They, they twist the word of God for, for profit. Deception is usually done by means of persuasion 
uh, by a word master. They they twist words around. They they beat you over the head. And you know what else they do? They're very defensive. If you speak out against them on social media, they're going to come after you in their sermons. I wouldn't even call them sermons. They're speeches. They'll get up and talk about you in church. Call you a hater. But Paul did not want them to be deceived by persuasive speech. Paul himself did not use persuasive speech when he spoke to them. He didn't use persuasive speech in preaching the gospel, but he preached with Holy Spirit enablement. And he says this much in uh, 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. And I love that Paul gave uh, this defense of his ministry. This is what Paul said in uh, 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, rather 2 Corinthians, the second chapter. This is what Paul says about himself when he told the Corinthians he didn't come to them with words of persuasion it's 1 Corinthians 2 Corinthians 2 verses 1 through 5 Paul was saying that he did not come to them with persuasive speech not not and, and Paul was a very eloquent speaker but he didn't have to come to them with persuasive speech he came to them with, under the demonstration of the power. Here it is, 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 5. Paul says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined to not know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. When a preacher gets up, he should be speaking from the Bible. Not speaking man's wisdom, not talking off the top of their head deceiving people and manipulating people and conniving people and condemning people. But that's what they do. That's what false teachers do. That's what false teachers did in Paul's day. They got up and spoke of all the philosophers of their day. Pontificating man's wisdom. Reciting quotes from the world and worldly people. But Paul says no. But rather, he rejoices in their joy. He had joy, rather, in their persevering in the faith. That is what was important to Paul. He says in verse 5, For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and steadfastness. Steadfastness, that's perseverance. Although Paul did not see them, he was still encouraged by what? Their persevering in the faith, hearing reports about the saints growing in their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul rejoices in their good order, in their steadfastness of faith in Christ. And that joy can be undone by deception, by persuasive speech. Someone can come in and deceive these people and that joy will be no more 
So Paul knew that their joy could be undone by persuasive speech, so that's why he was concerned about them. Persuasive speech can rob the believer of their true joy in Christ. You know what? God has true believers in false churches. He always has a faithful remnant. But they're not experiencing the true joy in Christ. Why? Because they're being deceived by man's philosophy. They're being deceived. And it's hurting their faith. And this is what Paul was concerned about happening to the Colossians. And this should be our Christian concern for brothers and sisters that we know are, that are who are in false churches. So what does Paul do? Our next principle. He exhorts them to do what? Walk in Christ. Question. How do we combat deception by pers uh, persuasive words? We walk in Christ. This is God's sovereignty in saving us, but it's human responsibility in us walking out what God has worked in us. The Bible tells us to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is him who works in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. God is at work in us. The word of God is at work in all of us. God's word is always at work in us. Always. There's not a time, Christian, where God's word is not at work in us. And that is something that we should be encouraged by. That his word is working in us. And as it works in us, guess what? We walk it out. And that is how we combat deception. That false teaching won't phase us. Because why? He's at work in us. We walk in Christ as we have received him. So the next question I have is how do we receive Christ? Because Paul said here in verse 6 again, as you have received Christ. Okay? How do we receive Christ? We receive Christ by grace through faith in him. We receive Christ by being saved. Okay? That's how we receive Christ. And that language comes from John, the first chapter, where, where the uh, apostle John was speaking of Christ, you know, the word of God becoming flesh. And this is what John said. He says, this is, this is in John uh, 1, verse 12. He says, but as many as have received him, he's speaking of Christ, to them he, came, he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. So there's, there's a correlation there between receiving and believing. To receive Christ is to believe in him. Not just believe in Christ intellectually, but in the heart. And what do you believe about Christ? That he is the anointed one of God. And we read in the catechism this morning earlier. That he is the Messiah who came to do what? Save. So when you receive Christ, when you believe in him, you believe in his name. His name is Jesus. What did the angel tell Mary? You shall call him Jesus 
for he will save his people from their sins. That's in Matthew, the first chapter. So Jesus came to do what? Save. So to believe in Christ means to believe that he saves, that he is the Savior, that he is the Redeemer of our souls, that he redeems us from sin. He purchased us. He paid the price. He lived a sinless life. He died a substitutionary death. He died as our substitute in our place on the cross. That's what it means to believe in him. So we're receiving him who is the word of God. We acknowledge his claims as the savior, as God. We place our faith in him and we yield allegiance to him. That's what it means to receive Christ. So when Paul again says, as you have received Christ, we know what that means now. So as we believe in Christ, as we've given our allegiance to him, that he is the only God, that he's the only one worthy of our worship, that he's the only one to whom we give glory, as we've done all those things, what do we do now? Walk in him. We walk in him. And so this is what Paul was saying to the church. He exhorts them. So that's how we receive Christ. We like to define terms and not just read them in the text, but to define them. So we receive Christ through a saving faith in him. We believe on Christ. And that is the exhortation to all people. We believe on Christ. Why? Because he is the only one who can save us. He's the only one. If you want that reference to the scripture, um, it is God who works in us. That's Philippians, I think, 2, I think 2, 12 and 13. It is God who is working in us. So we are to believe on Christ. In the book of Acts, you hear that when people are being called to salvation, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't believe on anyone or anything else for our salvation. We don't believe in human wisdom for salvation. We don't believe in human philosophy for salvation. Because what does human wisdom tell us? Love yourself. Self-love. Don't you know you can't save yourself? You can't atone for your own sins. You didn't die on your cross for your own sins. That's human wisdom. And it brings misery. Because as I always say, you can never love yourself enough. I've tried that stuff before. It doesn't work. It just brings more misery. Why? Because you're, you're so self-absorbed. And then you want everyone else to be absorbed with you too. So you become a God unto yourself. And that brings nothing but what? Misery. It doesn't bring the true joy that you are looking for. So we don't believe on anyone or anything else for our salvation. We don't believe on our phones. You know, it's something. We, we got our new phones uh, activated yesterday. These giant phones. Well, I'm getting old, so I got to have a bigger phone now. Uh, you know, so I can see. Uh, but we got our new phones. Uh, got them activated yesterday. 
And so I was thinking to myself, you know, this is my fourth iPhone. You know, I'm not, I'm not a devil. I'm not an Android user. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but anyway, uh, kidding to the Android people, not trying to offend, just being fun. But anyway, the first time we got our first iPhone, I think it was the 6 Plus or something like that. I don't know how many years ago it was. It was a good amount of years ago. But anyway, the first time I got that phone, I was just so excited. I got an iPhone now. I'm not in the dark. I'm, I'm on the dark side now, you know. I got an iPhone, you know. And, and, and I was so excited to get my first iPhone. And then we got the second one. It was okay. And then we got the third one, which was the last one. And then we got this one. It was like, okay, just switching phones over. What? It, it wasn't a big deal. You know why? This doesn't save me. This is not my savior. The apps on here are not my savior. But when you believe worldly wisdom, why do you think there are over a million? Think about this. And I, I've said this before. There are over a million apps in the app store. A million. Over a million. In the Google Play Store and the uh, Apple uh, app store over 1 million apps why because people are looking to these things to do what to save them to bring them that that joy that only being in Christ can bring is there anything wrong with having apps no I got them on my phone but I don't look for those things to to save me you know me and friend did something I'm going to virtue signal here and show y'all how righteous I am I'm kidding so friend and I went, we went out to eat Friday night at uh, the Mexican restaurant down the hill, Margarona's. And, and friend has these little uh, deck of mini Uno cards. So we just started playing Uno, a game Uno, while uh, we were waiting on our food instead of being on our phones. That's something that we decided that we would start doing as, as a couple. Because when you go out to eat, it could be a family of five or six people or seven or eight people. Every single person is doing what? On their phone, looking at their God, looking at their idols. Is there anything wrong being on your phone? No. Is it inherently sinful? No. But it sends a message that you are looking for something to save you from what you think is boredom instead of looking up and talking to people. <laughs> okay? Looking at eyes and looking at mouths and looking at faces and looking at expressions. We'd rather bury our heads into our phones, into our idols, into our gods into our objects of worship than looking to Christ to save us. Paul says walk in him. Walk in Christ. As we receive Christ, walk in him. And this is our daily conduct as believers. As we receive Christ and his substitutionary atonement for our sins as a means of our salvation. As we receive him as our Lord and Savior, we walk in him. We do everything to glorify his name. Just like the end of that song we sung this morning, that hymn, O Lord, my, my rock and my redeemer, may all my days bring glory to your name. That is how it looks for us to walk in Christ. This is our daily conduct. It is to live a patterned life after his. 
as we walk in Christ, we are rooted and built up in him and established in the faith that is found in him. As the scripture tells us, build yourselves up in the most holy faith. We, we build ourselves up in Christ as we walk in him. We're becoming more Christ-like. This is how believers are taught. And this is how we are to abound. We abound by all walking in Christ. And that is Paul's encouragement to the church. And then lastly, last principle, Paul warns. Paul warns. And what does his warning say? See to it. Beware means see to it. You know, I did this fun experiment with my students one time when I was a teacher. We looked at the sign, beware of dog. You know, people had that sign like in their house in their yard. And, and we, we pointed out how that sign is grammatically incorrect because it's missing an article in it. You got the articles A and V. It just says beware of dog. It just say beware of a dog or beware of the dog. But it just says beware of dog. And we made a joke that whoever made that sign and whoever edited that sign must not have had a good English teacher. <laughs> but the sign says beware of dog. Okay. What is that a sign of? It's a what? It's a warning. That if you step in this yard, some little chihuahua may bite your ankles. <laughs> or some rottweiler or pit bull will maul you to death. Or some type of mastiff will scare you just by its sheer size. But that beware is a word of warning. It means to see to it. So Paul is saying to the church in his warning, see to it that you are not cheated or taken captive. That you're not taken captive. That means to be robbed of truth, robbed of salvation, robbed of the blessings that you have in Christ. That's what human philosophy does. False teachers, understand this, false teachers and deceivers are very successful in robbing people of truth robbing people of salvation robbing people of the blessings that they have in Christ I'm not talking about blessing highly favored prosperity preaching blessings I'm talking about that because those are not true blessings the blessings of being in Christ the blessings of being one with Christ False teachers are very successful at robbing people of gospel truth. If you go to most of these churches, you ask their members, what is the gospel? They can't tell you because they're not being taught it. And that's what false teachers are very successful at doing, robbing people of the truth as it has been revealed in Jesus Christ. That is what they do. And they rob people of salvation. Why? Because they're telling you, you got to do this. You keep doing this. You keep doing that. You're not doing this enough. You're not doing that enough. You don't have enough faith. You, 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 you. They make salvation hinge on you when it is on Christ. It is Christ who did the work. 
We don't do the work to save ourselves. It is Christ who does the work, not us. When Christ cried out in John, the 20th chapter, in the 21st verse, his last words on the cross, as the scripture says, was, it is done. And what did Christ mean by that? The atonement for our sins had been accomplished. Our salvation had been accomplished. His work that he came to do in atoning for our sins and dying as our substitute, bearing the wrath of God on the cross, it was done. The gospel, people, is about what Christ has done, not what we have to do. It's not a works-based salvation. But that's what false teachers and deceivers are successful in doing, robbing people of their salvation. And what are their deceptions? Their deceptions, as Paul says here, are according to, he used the word according to, in verse 8, the traditions of men. The traditions of men. Human tradition. Human tradition is foolish. You know what the word philosophy means? Literally, it means love of wisdom. That's what the word literally means. The Greek word uh, philos is where we get uh, love from. That's where we get the word like Philadelphia from. Phila uh, means love. Okay? And sophie means wisdom. Okay? So... Philosophy means the love of wisdom. Philosophy. Philo love, sophy, or sophie, wisdom. So that's what it means. People love wisdom. And this is not just academic wisdom, but it is talking about the meaning of life. Okay? Think about this. When we talk about worldly wisdom, the world says that the meaning of life is, I don't know. <laughs> you know why? Because you know how many millions of people walk around not knowing what they're searching for the true meaning in life? And they don't know. They're wandering aimlessly in this world. The world says the meaning of life that there are many different things. One, to love yourself. Two, to acquire wealth. Get as rich as you can. Buy as big of a house as you can. Drive the most expensive car as you can. Or at least strive to attain to that. And sometimes some can say doing good to others, you know. Some of them are very altruistic. They, they do good works, do good things, although it's tainted with sin. But their meaning of life is not based on anything concrete. If you really drill down and talk to people, you will see that they have no idea what their purpose in life is. Well, some of them say my purpose in life is to be happy. 
Do everything. Do what, do what makes you happy. That's worldly wisdom. That's foolishness. If everybody did what made them happy, what if somebody thinks that murdering someone makes them happy? Should I be free to murder someone because why'd you do that? It makes me happy. But think about that philosophy. You know, we talk about that worldview. Take every worldview to their logical conclusion and you'll see how foolish it is. Determine happiness. You have to have some type of guiding principles. You have to have some type of foundational principles. In the Bible, Scripture, godly wisdom provides us with those guiding principles, with those foundational principles that we need to live in this world. Scripture provides all that for us. Worldly wisdom does it. Why? Because it shifts and it changes all the time. So the traditions of men, and then Paul says, not only the tradition of men, but according to the basic or elementary principles of this world. The basic principles of the world basically saying they're very immature. Speculations, ideologies, philosophies, psychologies, all these things are falling. Remember, people, the systems of this world are fallen. They are, they are satanic. They are not from God. They're from the world. 1 John 5 tells us that we are of God. The world is under the sway of the devil. Remember, the devil is the prince and power of the world system. All these philosophies, all these ideologies that that go against scripture and against God. Guess what? They're all demonic. They're demonically influenced. Those are the elementary principles of this world, the basic principles of this world. They're too simple. They're too immature. Speculations about things, conspiracy theories, and all this stuff is of the world. You got some people who get caught up in conspiracy theories all the time. I know people like them. Like, I can't talk to them. Everything's a conspiracy. Like you don't have any rock solid evidence and the evidence that they have is, is very shoddy because it's worldly. They even call some of the things in, in the Bible conspiracies. Some people think Christianity is a whole big conspiracy. That's why, that's where world, but that's where worldly philosophy will lead you. When you take it to its logical conclusion, guess what? You have to question everything. Even the Bible, even the truth of Scripture. And that's where you have to put on the brakes. Amen. And Paul says, these deceptions are not according to Christ. They're not according to Christ, but they're according to the world. Can't say it enough, people. And a friend, when I was talking to uh, a relative last night about this, it has to be according to scripture. Your thinking has to be according to scripture. Has to be in order for it to not be chaotic. Christ of chaos. What do I always say? If you try to build a world while at the same time denying the God who created it, 
it will not work because it can't work. That's worldly wisdom. It may seem like it works, but guess what? In the long run, it won't. And why is this important? Because whatever, what is more important than philosophy and empty deceit? It is whatever dwells in Christ. And Paul says this. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. It dwells in Christ. Whatever dwells in Christ is more important than philosophy and empty words. It is all about Christ. Amen. He is the one. We're complete. Oh, I love this verse 10. You are complete in him. Man, this is so good. We are complete in Christ positionally by the imputed righteousness of Christ. Remember, imputed means Christ. We receive Christ's righteousness. He puts it on us. We're not righteous in and of ourselves when we're saved. We are complete in Christ because we have his righteousness that has been given to us. And then we're complete in Christ because we have the sufficiency of all heavenly resources for spiritual maturity. We, we read that when we went through the book of Ephesians in Ephesians 1 where uh, Paul said that we are blessed in the beloved. We are accepted in the beloved. We are accepted in Christ. We are blessed with all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. And you know what? No one can take that away from you because it is rooted in who? It is rooted in Christ. It is not rooted in ourselves. So that's why dwelling in Christ is more important than human philosophy and human deceit. So let's look at our implications and applications as we close. Number one, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge ought to be found in Christ. Friends, this is true wisdom. You can never go wrong with the word of God in imparting wisdom to people because guess what? This is the only truth. This is the only truth. The only one. Number two, persuasive words and arguments are the primary means of deception found in the church. And I'm going to say in the false church, in, in false teaching churches, they use persuasive words and persuasive arguments. If Christ is our Lord and Savior, then we ought to do what? Walk in a matter worthy of him. If he's not our Lord and Savior, then guess what? You're not bound to that. <laughs> but those, Paul says, those who name the name of Christ must depart from iniquity. That's 2 Timothy. As believers, we are only complete in Christ, not in human wisdom and man's traditions. Man's wisdom doesn't make us complete. Only being in Christ does. So in our applications, we walk in the treasures of wisdom and the knowledge of Christ. That is the most important thing, knowing Christ, knowing God. We walk in the way in which we have received Christ. And we walk in the way in which we are complete in Christ. We walk as we walk in our daily lives. We know that we are the righteousness of God 
through Jesus Christ. That we walk around with Christ's righteousness, not our own righteousness. We walk around being righteous in Christ. And because we're in Christ, guess what? He's our advocate. He intercedes for us as our high priest. He advocates our righteousness before the Father. And that makes the Christian never condemned. Why? Because we have a high priest. Who represents us before God the Father. Isn't that such a joy? That Christ is our representative. He's our elder brother. That he presents our righteousness to God. And so because of this, we don't have to walk around, as I said, uh, what was the character in Charlie Brown that had the little black spot over his head all the time? Linus. We, we don't have to be like Linus walking around with a little black cloud over our, our head <laughs> as, as, as believers. Now, we don't walk around with the halo over our head either, but you know we don't walk around with that black dust cloud over our head. Why? Because we're not condemned. We're not condemned because we're in Christ. There's no condemnation, as Paul said in Romans 8 and 1. We walk in the way in which we are complete in Christ. And that gives us total confidence as we go through each day. We, we confess our sins. We repent of our sins. We receive God's forgiveness. And we keep it moving. Amen. And let us pray. Father, thank you that we are complete in Christ. Lord, I pray that you help us to not be deceived by human wisdom and by the philosophy of this world. I pray, Lord, that you would help us each day to not be given in to human philosophy. But, Lord, to receive the wisdom which comes from your word. Father, give us a hunger for your word. Give us a thirst for your wisdom. And Lord, as we learn it, help us to impart it to others because, Lord, this world needs your wisdom. This world needs salvation. This world, this world needs to be saved. The only way the world can change, Lord, is through changed hearts. And hearts can only change, not by human effort, not by human wisdom and human philosophy, but only by knowing Christ in salvation, through salvation, in him. Father, bless your word this morning. Bless those who are in here listening to it and those who are listening on Facebook and who will hear the podcast once it's published. And Lord, may you use this word to convict sinners and to encourage the faithful. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen.